Hi, I'm Paul Ellard. Welcome to Our Queen, Our Mother, the Graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In our sessions, we will be exploring the topic of the Blessed Virgin Mary and why she is important to the Christian faith. With each talk, we will try and open up and explain in simple terms the Catholic Church's teaching on the Blessed Virgin Mary. We will also include a testimony of people who have experienced her love and grace in their own lives. So welcome to the program and let us begin with a prayer. Our opening prayer is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, starting at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit exalts in God my Saviour because he has looked upon his lowly handmaid. Yes, from this day forward, all generations will call me blessed, for the Almighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name, and his mercy reaches from age to age for those who fear him. He has shown the power of his arm. He has routed the proud of heart. He has pulled down princes from their thrones and exalted the lowly. The hungry he has filled with good things, the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of Israel, his servant, mindful of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, of his mercy to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Mary, help of Christians, pray for us. So our theme for today is why devotion to Mary gives glory to God. But before we get into that, let's just back up a little bit. And, you know, when we think about Mary, we think about her importance because she gave birth to Jesus, the Son of God. So there's an obvious physical connection there in relation to Jesus and our faith. But there's also a very important spiritual dimension. And... It's really crucial if we're to enter into the depths and richness of our Christian faith, we really need to understand the spiritual dimension of Mary. Now, devotion to Mary is not new. It goes back to ancient times. and In fact, the earliest written prayer that we know of uh, is dated 250 AD. So that's very early indeed. That even predates the formalization of the canon of the New Testament. So you can see that devotion to Mary goes back to the very roots of our Christian faith. But right from the outset, we need to stress this. We do not adore or worship Mary. A lot of um, non-Catholics think that about Catholics, that we, we somehow adore or worship Mary. And of course, if you have a de devotion to Mary, you know that concept is, just seems plain ludicrous. But um, I suppose looking from the outside in, um, uh, sometimes our Protestant brothers and sisters don't understand this and think we are, we are putting Mary equal to God. So we don't adore or worship Mary. We honour her. And the role of Mary is to lead us to Jesus. 
Mary lives to glorify and honor the Trinity. That's her purpose. And to bring all of humanity to glorify the Trinity. So, you know, once we acknowledge God as creator and Mary as creature, and there's a huge infinite gap between that. God is the creator, Mary is the creature. Once we acknowledge that gap, we cannot honor Mary too much. It's like saying, oh, you know, I don't want to be too healthy. It's, it's just a ridiculous concept. But in talking about all this, it's important to stress that ultimately the spiritual gifts that God gives us through Mary cannot be applied through just a head understanding. I mean, yes, especially in this session, we're going to talk quite a bit about trying to understand and, you know, using our intellect a bit. But we're talking about the love of a mother. So, you know, at some point we've got to move from the head to the heart if there are going to be any real practical benefits in our devotion to Mary. And, of course, the only way for that to happen is through prayer. Okay. Now... A lot of Catholics are even confused about devotion to Mary. They think, oh, well, maybe it's just an unimportant option. You know, and you'll hear people say, oh, I don't pray to Mary. I go straight to Jesus. As if leaving out Mary was some kind of shortcut. <laughs> but the irony is, the exact opposite is in fact the case. The shortcut to Jesus is through Mary. So it's important that we understand this. And if I can be a little bold and put it to you, if devotion to Mary is not in your spirituality, then I'll challenge you that something very important is missing. Whenever we hear people say, look, I've got a problem with Mary, what really is happening is in fact they're having a problem with Jesus. Because it reflects that something is lacking in their understanding of who Jesus is. So in this session and in the coming sessions, I want to back up those claims, which you know, for some of you may seem to be um, exaggerated. But we're going to provide with supporting evidence, both from Holy Scripture and Holy Tradition, plus some personal testimonies. It's important to note that everything that Mary is, every gift that Mary has been given, is derived from her unique relationship with Jesus. Every gift that Mary has is subordinate to and dependent upon Jesus. This is very important. You see, because Mary has this unique relationship with the Trinity. She's daughter of the Father, mother of the Son, and also we can say she is spouse of the Holy Spirit. Now, St. Francis of Assisi was the first person to use that expression, spouse of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful expression, and it, it comes from the Gospels, you know, where the, where the angel Gabriel says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And, of course, she becomes pregnant with the baby Jesus through this. So it's something very beautiful and mystical. And now it's because of Mary's unique relationship with God that she can only reflect the Trinity to us, not herself. We can say that in her relationship with Jesus, 
that Mary is the mother and the servant of the heart of Jesus. She is so united with him that as a servant, she knows his heart so deeply that she knows what Jesus wants before he even asks. And isn't that true of all um, really close relationships? We see it so much in, in, in married life, you know, where the spouses know each other so well, they just give a quick glance and they know straight away exactly where they're at, what they're thinking. So true devotion to Mary can only lead us to Jesus. And Scott Hahn puts it beautifully. He says this, The fourth commandment is obviously, Honour your father and your mother. And no one lives the fourth commandment better than Jesus. Jesus honours his father and his mother. And what are we called to do? We're called to imitate Jesus. So we too are called to love the father and to love Mary. You know, when you think about it, this is very natural for Jesus to love his mother. Who do you love more than your mother? You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's built into our very nature. In the Old Testament, in the book of Ecclesiasticus, chapter 3, verse 4 says, He who honours his mother is like someone amassing a fortune. Well, if that applies to our earthly mother, imagine what it means to our heavenly mother. And while we're on that topic, I think it's good to stress, you know, some people have a problem with Jesus, or, or God the Father especially, if they haven't had a good role model as an earthly father. And this is very common. A lot of people have big problems with seeing God as a loving father because in their own life they've never experienced a loving father. You know, perhaps he was absent, or perhaps there might have been abuse. All sorts of things. And, you know, we're not, we're not blaming anybody here in a sense because nobody is the perfect parent. But the wonderful thing is, of course, God is the perfect parent. And God can come in if we allow him and we take the effort to come in and to heal these wounds and renew that relationship. Well, the same applies with Mary. There are a lot of people who have a problem with Mary because their model of mother to them was missing or wasn't good or for whatever reason. But the good news is, if even if that's the case, Mary can come in and be to us everything that our earthly mother could not be. She can give all the support and love and encouragement and guidance. And this is just a beautiful, uh, a beautiful thing. Uh, Father Joseph Kentonick, many of you will know him, he's the founder of the Schoenstatt movement and they have a, a strong emphasis on a Marian devotion in their whole spirituality and he puts it really well. He says, in the natural order, a child first loves his mother, then his father. And it's the role of the mother to teach the child to love his father. And Mary does exactly that with us um, to God. You know, when the baby's born, it goes straight to mum, right? It's not handed to the father. And that's not to diminish the importance of the father, but it's just built into nature. And where we see that in the natural order, it's reflected in the same in the spiritual order. And we see that in the whole of, um, uh, whole of our faith, not just in this aspect of Mary.
So then, why is it that some people feel reluctant to have devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary? Well, I think it's fair to say that it's not necessarily, you know, coming from any anti-Catholic sentiment, that they somehow sincerely believe that devotion to Mary detracts from the glory of God. I think that's probably the most common answer. If you really sort of discuss it, it always seems to come back to this reason, that somehow devotion to Mary detracts from the glory of God. Now, at first you might think, well, that sounds fairly reasonable, fairly reasonable argument. But let's open it up and have a look at this and to say, well, is this really a reasonable argument? And I think Scott Hahn and Mark Maravalli, they really cover this topic very well in one of their talks. They, they really open it up and it's certainly the best explanation I've heard. And so I'd like to share it with you. The way it's, they approach it is this way. First of all, we ask the question, did God create the world to get more glory? And the answer, of course, is no. God didn't create the world to get more glory. God doesn't lack anything. God is complete within himself. God created the world to give glory. Because when God gives, he empowers others through his gifts. And in his mother, he has empowered her the most by giving her every gift he can possibly give her. Did you ever stop to think that Jesus is the only one who could choose and create his own mother? If you could choose and create your mother, would you give her every gift? Would you preserve her free from original sin? Well, of course you would, but it's a ridiculous concept because you can't. But Jesus, in fact, can and actually did just that. He did create his own mother. God's masterpiece in all of creation is Mary. So, you know, it's important to stress that if we say Mary is doing great things, it isn't because Jesus couldn't get them done on his own. You know, and Jesus is not kind of sort of uh, tolerating us having devotion to his mother. Jesus wants us to have devotion to his mother. This is the way he has set it up. So we need to stop thinking in our limited human ways and discover the way God thinks. Human ways, we're full of pride, fear, jealousy. But God says, I want to give all to my mother. Why do you doubt? And you know, every artist or musician creates at least one masterpiece. In creation, God has made Mary his masterpiece, a living masterpiece. And you know, to, to highlight the fact, it's, it's like saying this. Imagine if I created this beautiful painting and you looked at this painting and you said, wow, that's an incredible painting. Look at the depth and the colour and the detail. I'd say, well, thank you very much. But imagine if you said, oh no, I'm not complimenting you, Paul. I'm complimenting the painting. Well, that's an absurd concept because the more you compliment that painting, the more you're complimenting me, the person who created it. 
So the more we extol the greatness of Mary, the more we extol the artist who made her. You know, and when you think about it, you know, what parent who loves their child ever feels inferior of the praise given to their child? You know, they, they love their children to do better at university or school than they did. Because the more that their child gets praised, the more that the parent feels a part of it and the more the parent has contributed. They're not, um, they're not intimidated by this. And, you know, there's no tug of war between God and his creatures. God is all-powerful, all-loving. He's not threatened by his creation. You know, we get caught up in our petty understanding of love. God's love holds nothing back. He gives everything to Mary and she can only give glory to God. But an important point here. If our image of God is master-slave, then we'll never understand God. What do I mean by master-slave? Well, our image of God should be as loving father, not as judge. You know, we, we have to understand that it's common in a lot of Christian circles to see this image that we are just God's servants or freed prisoners. You know, Calvin said we're nothing but snow-covered dung. That's not the Catholic concept. Our Catholic understanding of, of who we are is that, yes, we are fallen, but with God's grace, underlined with God's grace, we are, it is possible for us to rise to great degrees of holiness. So, you know, if, if we see ourselves as master-slave relationship, we'll never understand Mary, and we'll always see Mary as some kind of threat to God's glory. But if we see God as a loving father, then he desires the love and to empower his children. This is really important. And you know, um, Christianity differs from all the other religions of the world in the fact that God became man. The incarnation. We could look at the moral laws and we could say, well, you know, from, from the natural law we can deduce that we shouldn't kill and we shouldn't steal. In fact, these are common in all the, all the major religions. But the concept of the incarnation, that God became man, that is exclusively Christian. And it wasn't possible without Mary's yes. So Mary's presence in our spiritual life is really a constant uh, reminder and focus of the very foundation of our Christian belief. Great saints like St. Louis de Montfort and St. Maximilian Colby they put it so succinctly when they say this. Jesus came to us through Mary and we return the same way. Tim Staples says this cute little line he has, No Mary, no Jesus. However, we can also say no as in K-N-O-W, no Mary, K-N-O-W, no Jesus. So I thought we might end um, this part of the session with that prayer that I mentioned earlier that goes back to 250 AD. And uh, as we listen to the words of this prayer, we can realise that the early church really clearly understood uh, the power of Mary's intercession for us. 
So the prayer goes like this. We fly to thy patronage, O Holy Mother of God. Despise not our prayers and our necessities, but deliver us from all dangers, O glorious and blessed Virgin. So that's the end of our talk for today. But don't go away because we'll be back in just a moment with today's guest who will be sharing something of their own experiences of the graces of Mary. Welcome back to Our Queen, Our Mother. I have with me Jess Leach, who is uh, going to share something with us of her own faith journey, in particular with her relationship with Our Lady. Jess is associated with the Immaculata community at Lewisham in Sydney, uh, where she is the youth coordinator. Welcome to the program, Jess. Thank you, Paul. Jess, tell us something a little bit about your journey and how you've... um, You've come to have a relationship with Our Lady. Well, I am a pretty typical lapsed Catholic, or I was. Uh, for about six years, I was away from the church and I came back to the Catholic faith after a, a very strong experience of, of Christ at World Youth Day in Sydney and following some more formation experiences. And really, I had just an experience of falling in love with God and of wanting to know him and wanting to serve him. And my life was turned completely around. And I knew that in order to be faithful, but particularly in order to grow, um, to stay really on this Christian journey, that I needed formation. And I, I didn't have an opportunity at home. I didn't really have any opportunities with friends for formation. I was really uh, in a situation of my life where I needed a completely fresh beginning. I, it was almost like I needed Catholic rehab. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I ended up um, about two and a half months after my conversion, I ended up in Sydney, which is not where I was from, uh, living with a community called the Immaculata Community and with the Sisters of the Immaculata. And I had about six months there because I knew that I was, well, I was hoping to go and I did go to Rome uh, later in that year to study um, and to receive more formation. So I had six months there with the sisters and the community in 2009. But right at the centre of everything was Our Lady. And this was particularly through the rosary. And I suppose, of course, religious sisters are you know, probably given to being quite radical in their prayer life. And here I was, you know, a fresh convert living with them and with other young laywomen who had a real zeal for the Lord. And it was really centred in the rosary. And because I knew very little about Jesus, really, I I didn't know anything of his life um, beyond what I gleaned, you know, over my first 18 years of life going to Sunday Mass, but I never really paid much attention and I'd never read the Bible. And suddenly I found myself through these, these meditations, these rosary meditations that we would pray every day, it was as if the life of Christ was just opened up. And I can really say that this, this love that I had 
for the Lord, which was given in such an incredible grace, it had to be really purified through knowing him. And that was what Our Lady did in my life, really right from the beginning to, to show me the life of her son and particularly through the scriptures, through meditating on the scriptures in the rosary. And it was remarkable. And I found that it was like, uh, it was like the, the, the Bible set on fire in a way. Mm. Um, and I think a particular grace was discovering the life of Christ through the eyes of his mother because it was, I suppose, when you have this sort of intense experience of conversion and you feel like everything's changed and you, and you want to tell the world, um, it's, there's obviously that time when you come down from the mountain and, and the flames um, start to dwindle a little bit. And yet I would say that the thing about Our Lady is this real, there's a grace of awe that comes with staying close to Mary. It's as if a mother can never look at her child without loving them totally, without being in awe at them. She, she's never bored by her child um, unless really, I mean, she's led away from, from the love and interest in her child through sin. And because Our Lady is without sin and she looks at Jesus with these fresh eyes, she could never, ever, ever get sick of thinking or reflecting or, or being close to the life of Jesus. Mm. And and so for, for, for me, I really experienced this sort of this freshness through Our Lady as if um, as these years pass, and it's true I'm still in some ways a baby Catholic, but as the years pass and this sort of um, overwhelming experience of conversion becomes further and further um, in my past, I find that Our Lady just continues to keep this sense of awe in my heart as if um, Jesus could never become boring to one who, who studies him, who knows him, who, who spends time with him alongside his mother. Jess, could you give us an example of that awe that you speak of? Could you just sort of explain that a little bit more for our listeners, what you mean by that awe? Well, I suppose that I find it really comes through meditating upon his life um, in that we can pray the rosary because we really need a lady to grant us a favour or um, because we know we should pray the rosary every day so I'll you know, pray it on the train, I'll get it over with. Or we can take a few extra minutes and what I find is to, is to sit, really sit with the rosary and with each mystery and to, to contemplate the mysteries. It's, I mean, I don't think, I really don't believe that um, that the, the mysticism is for some special group of people. That really the, the first mystic was a humble young girl who, who found herself pregnant and who gave birth in a stable and who had nothing and who watched her son treated like a criminal and hung upon a cross. And she was the first and the greatest mystic and she had this, this sense of awe at the Lord simply because she gazed upon him and she gazed upon him with, 
with a, a contemplative heart, with, a, with a, a mystic's heart. And so I suppose that the great grace that I have received from the Sisters of the Immaculata is this way of praying the rosary in a, in a meditative form mm. to take each mystery and, and to think, what does this really mean? What does it really mean that the king of the universe chose to be born in a stable? What does that mean for my life? Does that mean that the things that I'm pursuing in my life, you know, are they, are they worth anything in the eyes of the Lord? If the Lord didn't choose a palace, if the Lord didn't choose worldly accolades, if he chose the straw and the dung and the animals and if he chose to, to come into the world without any sort of um, adulation, you know, what, does that, what does that say about the way that I'm choosing to live my life and what does that say about these decisions that I'm making? And suddenly as I meditate upon that, as I, as I take the scripture and as I really sit with Our Lady, suddenly this mystery of the rosary, it really does become a mystery and it's as if you're touching this incredible void that is the life of Christ, this incredible, I don't know if void's the right word, this incredible... Um, this incredible mystery and it becomes so much more real, so much more truly applicable to who I am. So Jess, you know, a lot of people struggle with the rosary. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, it's repetitive prayer, I get bored with it, I, I can't get depth in it. But obviously from your own experience, you've been really able to dive very deep into that mystery of the rosary. So... What would you say to people who perhaps are struggling with a bit of dryness in their rosary and, and really long to have this kind of intimacy? Have you got any um, suggestions on how they might deal with that dryness? I really feel that to pray the rosary with another person is to discover that God gives gems to every single person who seeks him in their prayer. And there have been so many times that because, because we pray the rosary as a group, um, as a community of Immaculata, and, of course, I often pray the rosary by myself because it's not always possible to pray it with someone else. But when we gather together, be it for youth group or be it for community day or a community prayer night, um, we pray the rosary. And particularly I notice with the youth group, it's, um, it's hard sometimes for young people to have that courage to step out and lead a decade of the rosary, you know, mm. not only to actually lead the prayers but also to lead a meditation to say, you know, the first joyful mystery is the Annunciation and in this mystery we reflect upon and really to open up their own heart and to share through prayer something that the Lord is saying to them. And there have been many times where there's been a very long pause between one mystery and the next. Mm -hmm. And as I've been waiting for someone to step in and lead, I've had a moment of thought where even though I've already led a mystery, I thought, oh, should I just, you know, should I just lead this next mystery? You know, no one's saying anything. But I always feel the Lord say, just wait. And someone will step out. And when they do, they will shine a light on the mystery from an angle I never previously thought of. Mm. And I will feel as if the Lord is saying to me, you're not alone. And each person here, I'm going to give gems to each of them. And I want you to know that 
these gems that I give to you and that I give to others are to be treasured. Like how privileged that we are, that the Lord would open up these treasures of his heart to us through this prayer. And so when I have a time in which there's a dryness or there's a struggle, I do find that the rosary is actually an answer to that dryness. But if there is a dryness in the rosary itself, to come back to the scriptures, to come back to the contemplation, to come back to the mystery, let the rosary take an hour. You know, through each, through each mystery, allow yourself to just be kind of carried away. And then I would say, if it's possible, seek to pray the rosary with somebody else. And it can be intimidating and maybe even a little embarrassing sometimes for us to sort of share these, these beautiful mysteries that the Lord is putting on our heart. But at the end of the day, I really believe that uh, it's a grace to pray with another person. And, you know, Jesus, I think, Jesus really shows us that in being vulnerable, in being little, in being, um, in being truly authentic um, about what he is putting on our hearts, we can only be a blessing for our brothers and sisters. Mm, that's beautiful, Jess. Thank you so much for, um, for sharing um, that part of your journey. I'm sure many of our listeners today really benefited by hearing what you had to say about the rosary and entering into that intimacy. It's really beautiful. So thank you, Jess. Thank you for being a part. And um, to all our listeners, thank you very much. That's it for today. Please join us for more talks and fascinating testimonies next time on Our Queen, Our Mother. radio.org.au